He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere. A radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This, this is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and uh, welcome aboard on this uh, kind of a warm day out there, second day of summer, which you got to expect is going to be hot in Memphis, the second day of summer. Uh, it's going to get hotter. We'll clue you in on that deal. Uh, I think Sunday's going to be up in the 90s, uh, then the heat index is going to be in the triple digits, so get ready for that. But it ain't so bad today. It's uh, upper in 80, so we can deal with that. Uh, we it's sad news. Uh, I'm sure you've heard about it by now, but the the submersible submarine, the Titan, uh, they have confirmed that they have found uh, a, a debris field at the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean near the wreckage of the of the Titanic. Uh, they found that this morning. A um, a uh, remote controlled vehicle was down there with cameras, lights, and came across the rear end of the fuselage of this uh, submersible, along with the, the tracks that were on the bottom of it. So they pretty much uh, confirmed that it was a catastrophic uh, collapse of the vehicle, and probably caused by the pressure, which is incredible. I think what we feel here on Earth, uh, just in the atmosphere, is about 14 pounds per square inch of just pressure, which goes up and down just a little bit. Whenever you watch the weather and they talk about low pressure, high pressure, and they'll talk about millibars, that's what they're talking about. But uh, as you as you go up and down in elevators, you'll feel it uh, in your ears. Your ears will pop, and that's uh, the differential in the pressure as it's going up higher. Because when you go up higher, it increases. You go down lower, it decreases. Well, when you get in the ocean, it's tremendous. I mean, it's like fourteen fourteen thousand times. Uh, I think they say of the pressure that uh, that you feel on Earth, just at sea level. And so you get down there. This was a carbon. Um, uh, fiber based, uh, material this, uh, fuselage was made from and still relatively experimental. And although they'd gone, some, I think they've taken 22 trips down. I, I think it's one of those things where you never know how the stress is going to affect it. And uh, when, when will the last of it, uh, when's our last trip? And apparently it was uh, this one. But, you know, when you stop and think, I've been praying for these folks ever since we heard they uh, were missing. To be in a, something like that, with lose all power, you got no lights, uh, you're sitting there, you can't communicate with anybody, you can't get out, not that you'd want to, if you're uh, at 12,500 feet below the surface, you ain't going to last long. Then you open the door and, and what would happen is what happened. It collapsed the entire vehicle. So it was instantaneous whenever it did happen, and they were doing something they wanted to do. So in that respect, I guess, you know, uh, if you wouldn't, except for the 19-year-old, uh, I remember I was telling some of the fellows before we started the show today, years ago I was uh, getting, to, getting to go up in a um, World War II flying fortress called the Aluminum Cloud. I don't know how many missions it flew over Europe, and they restored it, and they go around the country taking people for rides and charging money and helping uh, you know, publicize the fact that these uh, great flying machines uh, were still out there. And so we were getting ready to take off, and we had this gentleman that had flown 25 missions over Europe in a, a B-25 flying fortress just like this. 
and his grandson was there, and he was about 17, 18. They said, we're going to let you go up, and we're not going to charge anything just because it's so historical. And this kid's shaking his head like, no. And I'm sitting there going, huh, that's interesting. And they, they said, do you want to go? He goes, no, I think I'll pass. And so I said, apparently he's got a lot more to live for than the rest of us because we're all going, yeah, I'll go, I'll go. But keep in mind, we were all, you know, in our late 50s, 60s, uh, and uh, it's like my dad said one time when we were down at the ranch, and he was on a four-wheeler. We got a bunch of four-wheelers down there, and he's flying on off and going across the pasture, jumping these moguls, going about three or four feet in the air at 30, 40 miles an hour. And he was in his 70s then. I said, Dad, you could get killed. He said, I'd rather go this way than dying in a hospital. And I think a lot of people feel that way. You may not feel that way if you're young, but as you get older and uh, you spend some time in the hospital, you start going, you know, that ain't that ain't a way to go, uh, and of course, it's, and if you if you gotta make a selection, there ain't no great way to go. I mean, you're going, <laughs> but it is uh, it is sad. We're gonna have a, a good friend of mine uh, coming on at uh, at about three thirty today. Ron Callen, he's uh, has a, a international salvage company, and he deals with situations not just like this, but uh, that you know things where you have to come up and find ways of retrieving and salvaging things and you have to be very creative and there's a there's a number of uh, all these ships that have arrived there airplanes uh airplanes that drop um sonar buoys that can pick up sounds uh there's a whole world of people out there that uh, specialize in rescue and retrieval and uh, we're going to talk to him about this and, and just why people do it and then you know, uh, people like him, they go in and try to salvage what they can because insurance companies, uh, they insure everything. Although this vehicle, I don't think there's going to be much left of that other than the research that they want to do on it to find out exactly what happened to it. Uh, but it's just, it's, it's heartbreaking, uh, that, you know, that it happened. Uh, these, all these people obviously believe it. I think they said they'd made uh, 54 people, something like that had gone down on the, uh, Titan during its lifespan and all of them got to see the uh, Titanic up close and in living color. And it really is spectacular. Uh, we've got a cut. I think, uh, what is that? The, uh, we just did a flash by that cut 10. This is the, the CEO of the company that uh, developed the Titan talking about why they did it and why they continue to do it. I think you'll find this interesting. We are inside the submersible Titan, which is a carbon fiber and titanium sub that can go to the depths of the Titanic. Hi, my name is Stockton Rush. I'm the CEO and founder of OceanGate. Let's take a look at Titan. So we're coming into the sub. This is the only toilet available on a deep diving submersible. Best seat in the house. You can look out the viewport. We put a privacy screen in, turn up the music, and uh, it's uh, very popular. We have our uh, control screen here, our sonar screen here, and we can put any image we want in the back. We've taken a completely new approach to the sub design, and it's all run with this game controller and these touch screens. So if you want to go forward, you press forward. If you want to go back, you go back, turn left, turn right, go down, go up. And it's Bluetooth, so I can hand it to anybody. And it's meant for a 16-year-old to throw it around, and super durable. We keep a couple of spares on board just in case. This is the second year we've been out to the Titanic. Uh, we went out in uh, five uh, eight-day missions. 
We did uh, about 10 dives to the wreck site of the Titanic, and we did an extra dive on an undiscovered reef that we found. Completely privately funded um, operation, and we're funded by what we call mission specialists who help support the mission. So they take quite a bit of money to come and join us. Years ago, they t the uh, Russians took tourists out to the, uh, to the Titanic, uh, and it was just sort of a look-and-see thing. We really are focusing on the science around it. We want to document what the wreck is like now and also try to predict what it will be like in the future. It's continuing to decay, and it seems to be accelerating. It's being eaten by a bacteria, so it's literally being eaten by the ocean. It's not rusting away. So these things that, that are called rusticles are actually the, the byproduct of a bacteria that eats the iron. And as it does that, these, these uh, decks are collapsing. The promenade deck continues to collapse forward. Uh, we saw some of the railing is starting to, to, to lose its structural strength, which is really a sad thing. That's when it's going to stop looking like the Titanic. The interest in the Titanic is the reason we go there, because people are willing to fund this kind of exploration and science, and that gives a completely different research component that almost nowhere else in the deep ocean can, can you get funding to go back every year for decades and see how coral reefs develop and see how, uh, how metals decay and see how currents change. I mean, that just you, you can't justify that. No government will pay for that. Nobody wants to go back to just some old reef, but people do want to go back to the Titanic, and that's why we go is because people want to go. Now, whether or not anybody wants to go back to the Titanic after this, I uh, I don't know, but I wouldn't hazard a guess. Somebody comes up with a better plan, a better vehicle, and they say that we've solved the deficiencies in the old design, and uh, we're taking people down. You're not going to get me to go. I don't even like getting in a CAT scan, uh, you know, CIT, uh, and it's just a big circle thing that you go slide in, but you got to put your arms above your head and there's no wiggle room. You can't even scratch your nose. And I keep thinking, baseball, relax, baseball, clouds. <laughs> I'm, I'm freaking out, man. <laughs> I can't wait to get out of here. So I know I never would get in anything that you had 17 bolts. They're going to close the door on you. And if anything happens, you can't get out. I mean, that just tell me that goes nah, not going in. I mean, I, in, in my life, I, I've always looked for my plan B. You know, if, if I'm in a room, I'm looking around for escape routes. I'm looking for any uh, areas of danger, people of danger. So I'm always got a plan B. If this happens, that guy turns out to be a nut. What I'm going to do. If uh, this uh, horse starts bucking, where's the best place to jump off and not get stepped on? And there ain't no uh, plan B if I got 17 bolts closing the door. And the only way you get out is uh, you go back to the ship you came from and they unbolt you. Because they unbolt you at uh, 12,500, yeah, you ain't walking away from it. Uh, but our prayers and our thoughts go out to their families. Uh, it's a tremendous loss. And uh, a lot of talented people are that are no longer with us today that we're here just this past Sunday. So we're going to take a quick break. We'll be uh, checking in with my friend Ron Callen uh, after the half hour. Or so, But we'll be back in just a minute. We've got a couple other things to talk about. So stay with us. And welcome back on the uh, Thursday afternoon. Well, the, as we were talking about earlier, Five aboard the missing Titanic tourist sub are dead after a catastrophic implosion. That's according to the Coast Guard. Five passengers aboard the submersible that vanished on a trip to explore the Titanic in the Atlantic have died after a catastrophic implosion 
I offer my deepest condolences to the families that can only imagine that this has been like for them. Coast Guard Rear Admiral John W. Marger said at a news conference, hope that this discovery provides some solace for, during this difficult time. The underwater robots from the vessel Horizon Arctic discovered the tail cone of the 21-foot Titan on the ocean floor, approximately 1,600 feet from the bow of the Titanic, which is really a good thing because if it had fallen on the uh, ship itself and into all the holes and different places it could have gone, that's one of the real risks was getting close to the Titanic and they were with the Titan was and their, their fear of getting entangled in cables and, and uh, different pieces of metal because once you get entangled, you can't get loose. Um, but, uh, they, it fell, you know, at least 1600 feet from the, the ship itself. Uh, the remotely operated vehicle found additional debris from the Titan. Paul Hankins, a salvage expert for the U.S. Navy, said five major pieces of debris were found, including the nose cone, which was outside of the pressure hull. The large debris field contained the front end bell of the pressure hull. The first indication of a catastrophic event, he said, a second debris field contained the back end of the pressure hull. Ocean Gate Expeditions, which owns the operator of the submersible, said that all five lives have sadly been lost. The debris found today was from the submersible Ocean Gate, confirmed in a statement. These men were true explorers who shared a distinct spirit of adventure and a deep passion for exploring and protecting the world's oceans. Statement read, our hearts are with those five souls and every member of their families during this tragic time. We grieve the loss of life and joy they brought to everyone they knew. The five people aboard were Stockton Rush, an Ocean Gate co-founder who was serving as the expedition pilot. That's who you just heard t- describing the Titan uh, in an audio clip just a minute ago. Hamish Harding, uh, chairman of Action Aviation, a Dubai-based aircraft dealer. Paul Henry Narglay, a veteran and accomplished diver with more than 30 trips to the wreck site. A Pakistani businessman, Shaladaza Dawood, and his son, Suleiman Harding and Nargalay were members of the Explorers Club, according to Professional Society. This is an extremely sad time for our dedicated employees who are exhausted and grieving deeply over this loss, OceanGate said. The entire OceanGate family is deeply grateful for the countless men and women from multiple organizations of the international community who expedited wide-ranging resources to have worked so very hard on this mission. We appreciate their commitment to finding these five explorers and their days and nights of tireless work in support of our crew and their families. Um, it is sad. You know, it's any time people die uh, doing things that uh, the rest of us kind of scratch our heads and say, why do they do it anyway? Uh, I had I was talking to a friend of mine who's a uh, former Navy guy, and uh, works for FedEx now, and uh, he was saying that, well, you have to keep in mind, though, this was also a business. They were charging individuals to become specialists, as he described them, and that's how they funded it because, as he said, you're not going to get the government to fund uh, people to go down and look at the Titanic or a really neat ocean reef, Uh, but people that were interested in the Titanic and wanted to do stuff and uh, that nobody else does. That's the reason they go to to climb the Matterhorn or – you know, go on African safaris and 
go to the Galapagos Islands and camp out for two weeks. It's doing something that the rest of us either don't have the funds for or the time or maybe both. And when you've done everything and you have unlimited amount of resources, I guess that's when you do go do things nobody else can do. Because you sit there and say, well, we've got the resources. We only have one life to live. Let's go live it. And me, I'd stay home and uh, drive a nice car and go get another steak. <laughs> How adventurous. I, but I say that because I've covered news for 50 years. And I'm, I've flown in everything you can fly in, hot air balloons, uh, gliders, World War II vintage airplanes. I've driven tanks. I've fired 50 caliber machine guns off of tanks. I've fired howitzers. I've gone to combat zones. I've gone into the jungles with them, flown on Hueys, had emergency landings in the jungle, and all these people rushing out, and I'm going, are these good guys or bad guys? And I remember the guys with going, we're going to find out in a minute. <laughs> so it's like it, my whole life has been kind of an adventure. And I always looked at it as sort of a calculated risk. And, if you know, I was still on my own. And if things got hairy, I'd find a way to get out of it. And in every situation I ever went into, I don't care whether it was a murder scene I'm driving up on or whether it's a fire or a chemical spill, I always use my own judgment because you have these people that are producers and, and uh, people working back in the newsroom saying, get in there and get as close as you can. I'm going, yeah, I'll tell you how close I can get, and, and I don't know yet because I'm not there yet. I used to think that if you arrived on the scene, that, that if you watched the fire department people, that they wouldn't go anywhere where it was really dangerous. It didn't take me long to figure out that's no longer a, uh, a uh, measurement because they go – to where the fire is and no matter how dangerous it is, whether their power lines down, whether they're hearing shots going off from ammunition inside a house that's catching on fire and going off, they still go in there. So after I started figuring that out, I stood back behind the fire truck and, uh, I've, I've covered all well fires that red Adair came in to fight. And then you didn't, I promise you, you didn't get close to that just because the heat was unbelievable. And the fact that they got as close as they did to to blow them up is essentially what they do. Is they take nitroglycerin and blow it up, and it sucks all the oxygen out of the air. And then you get in and flange it up and hope you don't set off it again with a spark from the metal flanges you're putting onto the oil well. So there are people that have jobs. They go out every day and do things that risk their lives, policemen, firemen, uh, people that fly all kinds of stuff, crop dusters, helicopters. I mean, Everybody thinks helicopters are safe. Let me tell you something. I've covered a number of helicopter crashes in my time, and I've flown on countless numbers of helicopters. I love flying helicopters because they're so versatile. I remember one that landed behind Channel 3 one time, and the pilot uh, gets out to go take the doors off, and I got into the passenger seat up front. He takes the door off the back for my photographer who climbs in, and those he had a noticeable limp, and so he comes back, gets in, back in his seat, closes his door, and puts his headset on, so I... Got my head ahead, said, I go, hey, Captain, uh, what's uh, what happened to your leg? He goes, helicopter crash. <laughs> I'm going, oh, my God. Uh, so it does happen. We're going to take a break. Then we're going to check in with my friend Ron Callen, and who's on a salvage job in Texas, and talk more about uh, the tragedy in the Atlantic. So stay with us.
Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Uh, we're going to McAllen, Texas now, and a real good friend of mine, Ron Callen, who's from Memphis. We've known each other a couple of days or two, and... Uh, Ron is in the salvage business and has been uh, all over the world doing that. And in fact, that's what he's doing right now down in. Actually, are you over in Mexico, Ron? No, we're just about a mile from Mexico, and that's uh, close enough. <laughs> and it's rather toasty down there as well, is it not? I'm in my car, and it says it's 108. And you're in your car. Don't don't get out of the car. Is what I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I wanted to check with you because you're you're an expert in the salvage business, not necessarily something as this the tragedy that has occurred with the Titan submersible over in the Atlantic and the and the uh, the um, tragedy that took place. They say now it was an implosion, but you've you've dealt with just about everything over the years. And were you were you amazed uh, at the beginning of this how fast they were able to get vehicles from all over the place to that? that search area yeah you know they did a good job earl is is such a tragedy it is everybody you know they lost they said contact in an hour and a half from the time they did that and of course as you know we do a lot of salvage work all over the world we don't do any kind of marine i have salvage sunken barges uh on the river intercoastal waterway but as far as going out and stuff like that that that's a horse of a different color that's and and here they are, two and a half miles deep. You know the chances of recovery uh, is not the best in the world. With us, you know, we go in these burning grain elevators, and we always make sure we got an escape route if mm-hmm. something does happen. And and it, it, with them, with that situation there, uh, you know, the escape route is very very uh, very narrow. Well, there was none. I mean, once you got bolted in, I think they had 17 bolts that they uh, bolted on the nose piece with. And the only way you got out of there is they unbolt you. And uh, I'm like you. I always have a plan B. And uh, there was no plan B to this. No, it's a sad. And, and, you know, what? of course, everybody's got their own theory. Uh, We hear that, you know, you only allowed or you can only use these this type of material a certain number of times that you go down. Some of the equipment we use, we're only allowed to use it a certain number of times, and we've got to buy new equipment because uh, the chances of failure is great. You're talking about this carbon material that the, the hull was made from? Yeah, yeah. Because hey, yeah, I think that's, that's what everybody's saying is that they'd taken something like 23 trips down there or, or more, and, but they weren't sure how many trips it would take for the fiber to be compromised somehow. And, I they, think they've already determined that now. Yes, they've established a bar. and yeah. uh, But even with that, I mean, you have to admire people that would even get in there. I would have, I mean, not having known that that would be a factor, just when they, they describe that you get in there and there's no way out until we pull you back to the surface, and there was no tether, you were out there basically free flying and the, there yeah. was no verbal communication it was all done through text and if and that's how they, they even knew where they were because the mothership told them because they could track them with some kind of a tracking device and they could tell them where they were because they didn't even know in fact they lost it a few months ago they lost it for two or three hours 
And thank God yeah, they found it then. Well, you know, uh, you know, the salvage business. I mean, I mean, people say we, you know, we're crazy sometimes. We do, and maybe we are. But when you get into the marine and the water, uh, that's a that's a horse of a different color. That's that's extremely specialized. I have no interest in that. Uh, we, uh, you know, like I said, we do barge uh, recovery or salvage of cargo or stuff like that. But no, I'm not going to put my head below the water. <laughs> No. <laughs> well, no, but it's not that you're aversion to risk. You're a pilot. You've owned airplanes. Uh, you've been married several times. <laughs> that takes a lot <laughs> of courage. You. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but there is something. Remember the guy that's uh, the big explorer, treasure hunter here, Herbie? Um, I can't think of his last name. I think he's, a lot of his family money came from Holiday yeah. End, and he uh, – did salvage uh, things all over the all over the world uh, looking for sunken treasure uh but that was you were going down free diving and you're not in some kind of a bell or something but even even scuba diving is kind of freaky i'm sure you've done some scuba diving in your time uh because the deeper you go the more the pressure is and uh it's um it's not it's not a natural thing i do enjoy it uh, and it's a whole different world when you get down there but uh there are risks to just about everything, but I, I like to take it, make it a calculated risk. Yeah, well, in, in that situation there, let's face it, two and a half miles, uh, you know, is that's just that's unheard of. Yeah, that's that's more risk than I would even think about. Well, I don't, I don't do any. I like to say I don't go in the water. <laughs> no. There's stuff in the water too, as a matter of fact. Uh, there's stuff in the water, and there's. There's things in the water that can eat you that's bigger than you are. Yes, sir. Uh, you know, they, I was reading something you know, yesterday about uh, one of these deep uh, diving um, uh, subs or sub uh, that it was uh, they got attacked by swordfish and actually punctured the skin of the thing. I saw that. I saw that. I mean, yeah. uh, I've always heard swordfish would go after other fish and I guess... But I can't imagine it uh, going after a, some kind of a vessel. Depends on how hungry you are. <laughs> <laughs> I guess guess I hadn't been that hungry there, Ron. <laughs> That's right. That's well, right. Tell us what the project you're on down in uh, McAllen is. What are you working on down there? Oh, I've got a big grain elevator. We've got uh, about 10,000 metric tons of corn. A tornado hit this place. It did a lot of damage. Uh, we got down here uh, the day before yesterday. Uh, I'm going to come back tomorrow, and I will come back. But my man's going to be down here probably probably about a month, a month and a half. It's very hot. Uh, some of the men are inside these bins. Inside the bins, 135, wow. 140. They can only stay 15 minutes at a time. We alter, alternate them because it's so hot. Like I say, it's 107, 108 right now. And so it's, we have to be very, very careful. We start at 5 o'clock in the morning while it's cool, and, and uh, we'll, we'll shut the operation down today at 4 because it's just, it, it's just tough. It, it, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll ship out probably 450, maybe 500 trailer loads of damaged grain, yeah. And it's a it's a pretty big it's pretty big deal for us. Well, the you know everybody's having a hard time finding employees. What about you? I mean, that's a 
that's a tough thing to ask people to do come in and say now it's going to be 130 degrees in there. <laughs> well you know if you take your, your your index finger and your middle finger and your thumb and rub them together and tell them hey this is what we're paying <laughs> we're talking uh, cash money it's you know and, and you have to pay premium yep. money you have to pay them by the hour i mean you're not talking about seven or eight dollars an hour no. minimum. No. Minimum is forty dollars an hour. Wow. Minimum. So, but yeah, but you know, and then we provide you know all the food and the water and, and you know and the motel rooms for them and all. But that is, uh, and it, the danger's not over after the initial damage to the uh, grain elevators because the dust is what usually you're you're salvaging after is an explosion because of the grain dust. Well, we, yeah, you, and you have to be careful of, of it being collapsed. Uh, you, have to be, you know, there's a lot of things we have to watch out for. But, you know, I've done so much of this. Not that it's routine because everyone's different. But you just be careful and use common sense. And, and of course, sometimes, some of them are easier than others. And in this situation, we're not fighting a fire. Uh, we're, we're fighting, you know, some bad situations. Conditions, here. yeah. Yeah, so it's going to work out good. Yeah, that was one thing that uh, I wanted to ask you, too, is that you have been doing this for a long time. So uh, many of the other people that you work with, uh, you're veterans at it. The, the, this thing with the uh, with the submersible, uh, it was all relatively new. Even the CEO of the company that uh, designed this whole thing were working with a lot of young people. But I talked to a couple of people I know that are Navy veterans, and they all said they were surprised they didn't have some old um, – submariners in there that uh, that know things that that you wouldn't know by reading books or anything else just because of what they've learned over the years about uh, doing things uh, in uh, deep in the water earl there's nothing better than experience i promise you experience is the name of the game it's just like what we're doing here it's, and because every everything one is different and and you learn from everything Everyone that you go on, you always learn something. Well, I think you've had an incredible career, an interesting career, and it it never stops. In fact, you were said, you know, it's hot down there, but uh, you'll be back in a few days. But what else would you be doing? Sit at home watching uh, uh, soap operas in the afternoon? I don't see that happening. (laughs) No, no. No, if it wasn't too hot, I'd be playing a little golf. But, you know, we're, you know, I stay so busy. We're so well-known. You know, we probably got uh, fifteen jobs going right now. Wow, all over the, all over the country and all over the world, I guess. All over the country, we don't do a lot of international like we used to, but we but we still do a lot of business, a lot of business. This is this past year was one of our biggest years ever. Believe it. Yeah, well, uh, with the well. with all the weather that we're having this week, I mean, they've got uh, they were having showing. Uh, it was a huge hailstorm uh, uh, that was on the East Coast, and then they had the tornadoes down in Texas where you are, and then there's it looks like a hurricane headed toward the Gulf Coast. You monitor all that stuff because uh, that may be your next stop, correct? That's right. You know, that's that's our friend. <laughs> Disasters are your bread and butter. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. Well. So, but but we but we enjoy it. Uh, we like what we do. People to keep asking me, Ron, why don't you quit and retire? No, I'm not going to quit and retire. As long as I can keep doing this and enjoy it, that's what I'm going to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, 
it keeps a smile on your face and uh, it keeps oh, yeah. it keeps you active. Uh, so we get back to town hall. Let's go eat lunch. I'll buy it. My, my turn. Well, I'll take you up on that. And then it's Ben. It's your turn. I get to pick the place. Uh, I'm losing you, Ron. I'm losing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, Earl. Thank you very, very much. Thank okay. you, Ron. Ron Callen down in McAllen, Texas, on a salvage job. Um, always enjoy talking with him. Very knowledgeable. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll come right back. Stay with us. And welcome back. Back at Studio A. And so if you've been uh, wanting to watch us on uh, Facebook, we're just now getting that reestablished. We were down the hall in Studio B, and yes, I see now we are coming up on Facebook. And um, so welcome back to the show. In studio with me right now is Vanessa Winter, who uh, I've known since she was a young girl. She's <laughs> still a young girl. Oh. You know, yes, you are. Believe me, because I'm old. I know what old is. Uh, but I met you. You came on my show, what, seven, eight years ago? Oh, it's about nine. Nine years. Wow. We're pushing ten. Wow. I know. And you've been through, you've done a lot in those years. You're raising your kids. Yes. How many kids do you have? I have four. Wow. Yes. And are you're a single mom, right? I am. And so that's why you do not want to mess with women. Anybody can raise four kids on their own. <laughs> oh, I don't do it on my own. <laughs> I really don't. Um, I have to get, I have to. Thank my mom and and everyone. Everybody's yeah. been involved helping me. Well, yeah, and it does. Lovely. I know that we help with our grandchildren, and uh, that's what you do, and it's a privilege to do it. Uh, but do, you're you also uh, are an artist. Uh, yes. You write and uh, sing music. Yes. Uh-huh. And most recently, you won the uh, Country Female Artist of the Year. Yes, at the Best Mi- Female Country Mississippi Music Foundation. Mm-hmm. Which is uh, T.J. Cates, who's a good yes. friend, and he wor- you work with T.J. as well, right? I've, I met T.J. downtown Memphis, uh, probably 2013. Um, he was, I guess, he was just going around looking for talent. I don't know. Mm-hmm. He's he's all he's about he's about entertainment. Yep. I was gonna play on, I think it was Main Street, and that's just how we met. It was just a chance meeting, and we stayed connected because you know we're both in entertainment. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he loves it, and uh, he's 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 a busy guy. He's involved in a lot oh, of different stuff all the time. Busy. Yeah, I don't know where he gets his energy. He needs to call in and tell us where he gets his energy. <laughs> I think it's steak because he's a lot. He eats a lot of. Does steak. he eat a lot of steak? I wouldn't know. <laughs> yeah. His daddy used to own a butcher shop, so uh, he used to come cook for us oh, at right. uh, at Fox Thirteen. He would do holidays and stuff. He'd bring bring a bunch of stuff and put it on the grill up here. I love steak. Oh, that's one of my favorite foods. Well, it's all our favorite foods. It's just yeah. uh, right now we don't see much of our favorite foods because it's so expensive. But uh, oh gosh, I know that just gives me anxiety. When I think about the price of groceries right now. It is. It you go to the store and you get two little sacks and it's seventy five bucks. You know, huh? and yeah. every everything costs at least five dollars. I mean, you used to go to the store and get a package of potato chips. It was like fifty nine cents, maybe a buck. And now it's five dollars for a bag of air, and uh, now it's um, buy two get them for six twenty five. It's like <laughs> what kind of deal is that? Like, I think this is when you everybody started. This not is fooling me. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a good time to go on the diet, you know, and just yeah, eat a lot I'll of. Tell you what, 
I tell you what, one thing that will come of it, though, is a lot of families are going to discover the tool of growing your own food. They're going to fall in love. Back, Our culture, our society will probably fall back in love with just growing our own. For, for a number yeah. of reasons. And I think it's my son lives on the property down in Mississippi. And they raise cattle, they raise horses, they also mm-hmm. have chickens, and they got gardens. And, and more and more people, even in the city, are going back to yep. that. I know people in the city, they're raising chickens Yeah, now. I do too. They got chickens in their teeny tiny backyards, chickens everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it's a thing. People are figuring it out. You can, it's, it's, it's actually cool to do it yourself, grow your own chickens. Well, it is. And, and it helps. And, and the same thing with your own vegetables. Now, raise your own chickens. I, I will okay. say this. It's not as easy as you think it is. I remember a few years uh, ago, my yes, son said, not. He said, I'm going to be totally self-sufficient this year. I'm going to, I'm going to deer hunt. I'm going to uh, bag two or three uh, deer and, and put them in my freezer. I'm going to have a garden and see how much I can do myself. Yeah. And I said, so how did it go after the first year? He yeah. said, well, yeah. I had a crop failure on my tomatoes. <laughs> they are, man, uh, you have to, I try to grow some myself. You have to keep them watered. They yeah. love yeah. water. Lots of water. Mm-hmm. And then they, you get too much water. I've been to the big yep, uh, Ripley up there where they grow tomatoes uh, and these big farms. And I'll walk through there and all these tomatoes are laying on the ground. I said, what are those for? He said, they got too much water. Yep. And so we got to pull them off the vine because they suck the water out for the other tomatoes. So never easy. We're with Vanessa Winter. We're going to come back. You're going to hear her sing and uh, talk some more. So yep. stay with us. We'll be back. He grew up in the oil fields of West Texas. He's been all over the Western Hemisphere, a radio and TV veteran, former restaurateur, and a cowboy at heart. He's Earl Farrell, and he calls Memphis home because Memphis is cool. This is the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. And now, here's your host, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back uh, in studio with me this afternoon is uh, Vanessa Winter, and known her for uh, I knew it was a number of years, but she said that it's uh, nine years now since oh, since she first came on. And uh, boy, time flies! And you've been busy. You uh, got uh, female vocalist, was it female artist of the year, yes, country uh, with best female country Mississippi Music Foundation. And uh, but that's that's just an award. You you work all the time, and you. I'm I'm an assistant teacher. Um, I'm enrolled in college for my bachelor's degree in history right now, and um, I'm raising my children in the country. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's uh you you've, you've never given up on your music. Oh no, absolutely. and uh, and I was very proud of you. I, I saw you. on Facebook when you got your teaching certificate, and Thank then you. going after your master's, and yes. it's not, not. But you know what? Uh, life is not easy. And uh, but you get out of it what you put into it, and you're starting to see some of the results. In fact, you were uh, tuning up your guitar, and we were getting a level a minute ago. I was listening to you sing, and I said, Your voice has gotten lower mm-hmm. since when I first met you. Mm-hmm. And you said, You've been working on that. I have been, I've been working on, like I've mentioned before, in, in high school, I was, I was in a chorus, I was a soprano one. And I just stayed in the high range, so I've really been working to be a little more versatile than that. So the fact that you can hear that means it's working. <laughs> well, good. Let's. Uh, we got <laughs> a couple of songs. We're gonna play one that's on Spotify in a minute, but I'm gonna play the one here in the yeah, studio. Yeah, this one's uh, called Whiskey. All right, take it away, but that's in winter. <laughs> 
like honey as they go down. Got my head spinning around, around and around. I didn't come here looking for you. Got a feeling you didn't too. So tell me, baby, what you wanna do? Cause I want you to kiss me. I wanna taste that whiskey off of your lips like candy, baby. Maybe get a little closer and find out what we've been missing. Right now, here's what I'm thinking. Hopefully, you will let me taste that whiskey. Shut it down, band plays so right, bartender shouts, last call, pass it around, around and around, see the way you've been looking at me, it ain't rocket science, you and me, tell me baby what it's gonna be, my thoughts exactly, kiss me, I wanna taste that whiskey, make it look easy, come on let's get away and get crazy, Get away, maybe find out what we've been missing. Right now, here's what I'm thinking. Hopefully, you let me taste that whiskey. Oh, 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 oh. oh can't sing it no more. I want that red hot. And woman, kiss me. I wanna taste that whiskey off of your lips like candy, baby. Maybe get a little close and find out what we've been missing. Right now, here's what I'm thinking. Outstanding, yeah. outstanding. Uh, it is, um, I, I think your voice is like anything else. Uh, the, the, old, the more you use it, uh, it's an instrument, yes. just, just like your guitar. Yeah. And you you learn things about it as, it as you go along. In fact, you were saying the other day you, you made a sound. You went, hey, that's pretty cool. How did I do like that? The distortion that you hear a lot on uh, female and male voices, especially in heavy metal. I love that distortion sound. It's one of my favorites. <laughs> but when I try to do it, it hurts. I'm like, ah, how do I do it? It hurts so bad. Well, I but think sometimes it, you can get it to come out. Uh, it, uh, Garth Brooks uses it a lot in his songs, uh-huh. and and, uh, and a lot of people in country music do. And I think it, it sounds great. It's uh, uh, what have you learned along the way? Because when you were just starting out, and I remember when we first met, and and uh, you were saying, you know, I'm I'm playing wherever I can, yeah. and 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 you have, and you've yeah. played a, a lot of different places. What do you think the thing um, that you've learned the most is? I've learned a couple things. One important thing I've learned is, you know, one important thing I've learned a couple things. Um, one of those is, you know, when you're when you're young and any age, you you hear people say, "Well, it's all in who you know. It's all in who you know. It's luck. You just got to know somebody." Well. 
I didn't understand that. I didn't. I thought you just had to be somebody's wife or be somebody's uncle or be, you know, be related to somebody important. But that's actually not the case. If you're charismatic, you're you're outgoing. You're you're making friendships. You're meeting people, and you and you establish that. That's how you know people. That's how you. That's what they mean when they say it's all in who you know. If you're somebody worth knowing. Well, and it's good to people. It's you're you're going to meet people and know people. Well, you're right. And what happens is you, people become drawn toward yes. you. And uh, they call you and they're like, hey. <laughs> and you're like, hey, <laughs> let's get together. Because it really isn't enough to just be talented. Uh, it's uh, not. Because show business is show business. Mm-hmm. And it is about getting out on stage and not just being able to do the song. You got to sit there and, and talk to the audience and, and endear them to you. Which is a lot more, and it's very hard for a lot of people, especially young people, to do that because they go, I, it's, it's so uncomfortable to try to do that. But it's really not when you think about it. What do you do with your friends when you're out driving around your car drinking a Coca-Cola and pointing having out stuff? Having a good stuff? time. You're laughing, having a good time. And, oh, just guess what happened to me yesterday? And that is what, the, if you look at the, the really successful artists, they tell stories. Life really is a story. Mm-hmm. That's what your songs are. They're telling stories and songs. But then in between songs, you think about the most successful artists you, you see and you enjoy are the ones that in between the songs say, let me tell you about when we were making this record. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. Then it, for that moment on, every time you hear that song, you remember that story and you tell that story to other people. You hear that song, let me tell you what I learned about that song. And the other, one of the other things I've learned about the music business is it does pay off. You put the hard work in, you meet the people, you make the friendships, you, you establish the connections. You make the music, and you just don't quit. It does pay off. Some people, maybe they, maybe it doesn't pay off right away, and some people it does. But no matter what, I have learned that is true. You stay at it. You don't give up. Kind of go in it bullheaded, like block out your peripheral even. Just stay at it. Just do it. Just do it. It'll, well, it'll pay off. You'll get You'll see the fruits. Morgan Freeman, uh, I've interviewed several times. And, and the first time I interviewed him, he, he sat down and we did his whole life story. And he was saying that he was 50-something years old and he was about to buy a medallion in New York to be a New York City cab driver because they can make, you know, six dollars $700,000 a year. And he was trying to make it. He was the, At the time, he was on Sesame Street as the postman. Not exactly where he was aiming at when he first oh, yeah. started being an actor and he was in his 50s he uh-huh. goes i figured this is it so he said I- i'm gonna get something i can do you know i can make money and i'm in my 50s and not long after that uh it was when he made driving miss daisy and oh, yeah. then everything took off and now you know he we had dinner one night kathy was with me and we were down in in clarksdale and uh he was telling the story about it, and, and he said then not long after that, he was doing Mandela in Africa, and he gets this call from this guy, and he goes, Morgan, this is Clint. I want you to be in a movie. Yeah. Morgan said, he said, I just hung up on him. I said, Clint Eastwood didn't call me. So he called oh, me and goes, right, damn it, Morgan, it's Clint. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> Don't hang up on me again. Like, my phone number is. My phone number <laughs> is. Well, and the thing, is, and like the point up. is, he never gave up, and that was to Clint Eastwood yep, calling to make The Unforgiven, which is another great movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he says, my advice is to any young people is don't ever give up. Yeah. Uh, keep on trying. Even when you're discouraged. Because oh, and you, you will be. so discouraged. It's yeah. okay if you stop for a minute, but 
get back at it. Well, especially Don't if you quit. have talent. And it's one thing if uh, if you sit there and you go, people go, well, the only problem I see is you don't sing so good. <laughs> I've run into that, too. <laughs> no, not you. You do sing great. No, uh, not me personally, but uh, I've seen people that, that Oh, yeah. That, yeah. And I think they're, they're, and they kid themselves because they go, it's not that bad, is it? Mm. They go, oh, yes, it is. That's <laughs> not going anywhere. We're talking with Vanessa Winter. Take a quick break. We'll come back and we'll hear one of her Bruce songs. It's actually on Spotify, and you can go listen to it yourself afterwards. So stay with us. We'll be right back. And welcome back on a Thursday afternoon. In studio with me is uh, Vanessa Winter. She's a songwriter and an artist. Uh, and uh, she first came on my show about nine years ago, and she has uh, been Working hard ever since. She she sounds great. Um, you've got one song that you can listen to on Spotify. In fact, we're going to check it out right now. It's uh, going to take me days. Going to take me days. It's also on YouTube Music. And uh, so, when did you do this song? I did this last year with Casey Combist and his team, his studio in Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. Yeah. And so, really good. did you write this or? I did. Okay. And so, what has been the response to it so far? So far, it's uh, it's, I've had a great response to it so far. uh, uh, One of the uh, some feedback I got on it is that it's kind of cheerful, cheers you up, it's like a bright feeling. But it's a love song, so. Well, then it's a happy love song. (laughs) Happy love song, yeah. Because there's all kinds of love songs. Some of them ain't so happy. It's a happy one. (laughs) Okay, Vanessa Winter, and this is called "Gonna Take Me Days." Guys in the control room like it, so uh, they're a tough crowd in there. I'm telling you. Uh, what is the difference when you because you play by yourself most of the time on stage with acoustical guitar? What is it like to go in a studio and have uh, have that kind of sound back you up? That's a creative process. It's, it's um, 
But it's got to be really cool. You play by yourself all the time, but all of a sudden you get drums and, and back, you it's know. It's very, uh, the word I'm looking for is satisfying. Because when you're playing by yourself, um, you hear it in your head how you want it to go. When you get the opportunity to step into the studio, when you get the opportunity to step into the studio uh, versus when you're playing by yourself, um, you've got musicians around you that are skilled and they can help you get it out of your head. And it, it's very satisfying because you'll find out, you just find out that what, what in, what's in your head is possible. <laughs> yeah. And then you start to hear it played in real time. It's just a great experience. It's, it's, it can be addictive, I think. Well, it's it like your song said. <laughs> it's addictive. <laughs> but the, I think that, too, that's when you really find out where the experience comes in yep. with the people you're working with. They'll come in and they'll say, why don't you try this? On the end of this uh, line right here, do this. And then on the chord, we're going to do this. And it totally changes what you, and, and you said, I never even thought of that. That happened with Gonna Take Me Days. That happened. I had it. I had it. Um, pr- um, I had it go in a different way at the end. I had this this um, gentle tapering off, and I was like, you know what? Just cut that off. So it's it's so fun. You go in there, you create. They have ideas that are like, whoa! I didn't think of that. That's perfect. And you actually help them too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's uh, it sounds great. And so, uh, are you performing any place now oh, that people go see you? One more thing. I'm not. I don't have anywhere I'm scheduled to perform right now. I've been focused on being in the studio. But one of the things that's really cool about going into the studio is you get a chance. If you're diverse in the things you like, which I'm a metal fan, I love heavy metal music. When I sing, I'm country. <laughs> so I was kind of. We were trying to see if we could put some of that metal guitar yeah. electric in there and gonna yeah. take me days. So you can make different sounds. Well, the thing about uh, country, what's happening that I'm seeing is it is uh, going from what used to be straight country, and then it slowly started turning into, you know, like Taylor Swift. She mm-hmm. it went uh, country, then she went pop, yeah. but now she's kind of coming back and mixing the two. Yeah. And I think Jason you, Aldean mixes it pretty good. I mean, you does look at a, a lot of the, the young uh, groups coming up. They ain't wearing no cowboy hats anymore. It's ball caps and sleeveless shirts. Yeah, and, uh, that, you know. that that metal and that uh, rock is so similar to country. They're just blending so well. Like a married couple. But if you think about what uh, country music really has always been, is telling stories. Yep. And I think what pop has learned from country is you got to have a good story. If you're not telling a good story, you just got a melody. And what really makes a hit a hit is when you're communicating with people out there and they go, you know, I felt that way. I know exactly what you're talking about. Because then you're telling a story that people can identify with and you're doing it with a tune that they like. And so the two come together. And somebody uh, pointed this out to me the other day. We were talking about songs that make you feel. uh, I love that song because it always reminds me of this. And you think, is it the song that reminds you of it or is is it that, whenever you hear the song, it reminds you of that period of time. It just happened to come along, and that's the key, that's the, the turns that makes you remember the time. It's one of life's small little miracles. You hear the song, you hear the melody and the story, and it, it comes right. It's all, it all comes together in just this moment of art that exists until the song is over, then the art is gone. It's like it's... And it happens, uh, everybody's got a, d- a different take on the same song. I mean, it's like uh, for one person, it was their time uh, when they first moved to Memphis or the first time that they 
uh, went to or to a concert and heard the song for the first time. So it brings back different memories for different people in different generations. The real test of a song, though, is the one that transcends generations, and new people hear it and they go, oh, I love that song. Yeah, I think a lot of it is the words that you may want to say, you wouldn't even think to say, you hear the words, and it's got a melody that matches the mood, and those two are, are perfect match. It's like a little miracle of matching there. You get it in a song, you put it out, and people relate, and uh, it stands the test of time, like you said. And that was Elvis's biggest complaint was that he could sing just about anything, but he said he couldn't write. Really? No, I didn't he, know that. Never, Elvis never wrote anything. And uh, they said he was, otherwise he was the perfect artist because he could, he had great moves. He was good looking. He was charismatic. He could sing anything, but he couldn't write. And, and guess where the money is? The money is in writing. <laughs> we were just talking about Tennessee whiskey. That was uh, David Allen Cole wrote uh, 1981. And I had no idea. And Chris Stapleton just made a fortune off it. But who's made more? David Allen Cole. Right. Yeah. The songwriter. The yep. songwriter. <laughs> but that's a winner. Thank you for coming in. Don't make it so long before you come back. I won't. I won't. All right. Thank Good you. luck to you. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Now, back to the Earl Farrell for Memphis show, brought to you by Southern Security, your home team credit union, and by Kathy Thurman Edwards State Farm Insurance. Once again, Earl Farrell. And thank you very much, and welcome back. Uh, some more. This, this story is a killer. Uh, two of the world's most high-profile technology billionaires, uh, Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg, have agreed to fight each other in a cage match. I would pay to I would pay to go see this one. Uh, it says that uh, Mr. Musk posted a message on his social media platform Twitter that he was up for a cage fight with Mr. Zuckerberg. Mr. Zuckerberg, the boss of Facebook and Instagram parent company Meta, then posted a screenshot of Mr. Musk's tweet with the caption "Send me location." The story speaks for itself. Meta spokesperson told the BBC. Mr. Musk then replied to Mr. Zuckerberg's response with Vegas Octagon. The Octagon is the competition mat and fenced-in area used for the Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC bouts. UFC is based in Las Vegas, Nevada. Mr. Musk, who turns 52 later this month, also tweeted, I have the great move that I call the walrus, where I just lie on top of my opponent and do nothing. He later tweeted short videos of walruses, perhaps suggesting that he's challenged to Mr. Zuckerberg may be uh, somewhat uh, in jest. I mean, you know, you can see that because you know, Zuckerberg seems kind of like a wimp to me, you know, and uh, I'm sure he's been called that a you know techno dork, and uh, people have already probably shoved him around when he was before he was a billionaire. And now that he's a billionaire, he's taking jujitsu and, you know, going out there to get all pumped up and works out 50 times a day. <laughs> and then, have, you know, I must go in, I'll sit on you like a walrus. Uh, but uh, it should be interesting to see what uh, comes of it. For some reason, it's a get the app. I don't want the app. See, you look at this story, then it sends you to Microsoft. And then you got to just get out of it all together because they've, they've hijacked you. And... uh 
uh, I'll get back to the main story here and see if I can, because I wanted to see what that he apparently says it ingests uh, the octagon. Later tweeted the Walsh perhaps suggested his challenge to Mr. Zuckerberg may not be entirely serious. That I would say that would, I think Zuckerberg's serious. He also tweeted, I almost never work out except for picking up my kids and throwing them in the air. <laughs> Meanwhile, 39-year-old Mr. Zuckerberg has already been training in mixed martial arts and has recently won a jiu-jitsu tournament. Uh, Twitter did not pr- provide a statement when contacted by the BBC for comment. The exchange have gone viral with social media users debating who would win the bout. While others have posted memes, including mock-up posters advertising the fight. For example, businessman consultant Say Tyler tweeted, choose your fighter with pictures of the two tech bosses. You know, the thing about fighting, and, and there's so many people uh, have never been in a fist fight. Uh, I grew up in West Texas where it was like the national sport. You could just be driving down the street, and, and unlike in Memphis where they just shoot you, there they'll pull up the light, and I go, I'm going to whoop you. He go, whoop me? For what? I just don't like the way you look. And so people would pull over and get in a fist fight. And then and especially in like a junior high, grade school, junior high, and a little bit of high school. kind of got out of it in high school. But there was some guy that would get a beef with, and so you'd say, meet me at. And we had this place uh, when I was in junior high. I went to the food mart across the street from my junior high. And meet them behind the food mart in the alley, and there'd be three or four hundred kids out there because word would spread throughout the school that there was going to be a fight at, behind food mart. So everybody would show up, and uh, I remember I just moved back from Canada, so I didn't know anybody, and they didn't know me. I've been gone for a couple of years, and so some guy kept giving me the business for who knows why, you know. But you learn early on that you could either keep taking it from somebody, or you're going to have to stand up. And even if you don't win the fight, because I had to do this several times, they don't bother you anymore. Once you once you show them that you will fight back, and you may not win the fight, but you get a couple of shots in and hurt them, then they go. They just want it to be over with too. And uh, so I'd get out there, and man, and my father told me, he said, "There's no such thing as a fair fight." So when you get ready to start fight, said, "Okay, now how do y'all want to handle this?" And while there's where you're talking, that's when you haul off and hit them as hard as you can, <laughs> and hopefully they go down. But if they don't, uh, my plan B was always run because I was a f- really fast. I could outrun a lot of these guys, especially if they were a lot bigger than me. But the, the I guess the point being that uh, you never know what people are really like. I think because I was tall and skinny, I think a lot of people thought I wasn't strong, but I was. You know, they underestimate me. And uh, so never underestimate anybody because even though they may not look like they may be strong, it's strength is it's not just that. It's also heart. And uh, people have heart and strength. Uh, it'll, it'll give them strength. And uh, it's just a better idea to just uh, try to work out everything amicably, and uh, which is what I always try to do. First, I try to laugh it off, get them to laugh, and use humor to diffuse the situation. But and where I grew up, that was uh, that. And I, and I will admit that there were times I had kind of a smart mouth. <laughs> and I was witty. And there's one thing guys that aren't witty hate. It's somebody that's witty that kind of makes them look bad. So, And speaking of not being witty, um, check this out. This is uh, Vice President Kamala Harris 
trying to relate another story. Remember her story about everybody loves buses, yellow buses, buses, buses. Never did understand that one, but check this one out. This is a story, and we've all heard this story about about the way they you you, you boil the frog, you put him in just warm water and let him swim around there, and slowly crank up the heat until he's cooked before he even knows it. But listen to this. This is this is her version of the same story that we've all heard throughout the years. Check this out. Um, I think of those two frogs. You know, the two frogs in the two pots. So <laughs> for, your, for your listeners, here it goes. So. There are two pots of water and two frogs. And in one pot, you put the frog in the water and you slowly turn up the heat. And that frog's just hanging out as the heat just slowly gets hotter to the Mm. point that that water starts to boil and that frog perishes. In the other pot of water, you first turn up the heat real high. The water's boiling. You drop that frog in. He'll jump right out. Mm. The lesson there, as far as I'm concerned, don't be that first frog. I'm still shaking my head. <laughs> Go, what the hell was that? And if I was a reporter and she told me that, I would say, uh, Mr. Vice President, uh, I'm trying to understand, which I know the story of the frog and turn the water up slowly, but last time I checked, if a frog jumps in a pot of boiling water, he don't come back up. <laughs> that's pretty much it. And uh, apparently uh, that's, uh, I don't know where she got that one. That was... Uh, uh, that was really something. And then this is uh, another uh, one of the wonderful Democratic Party ladies. This is Nancy Pelosi. Uh, this was on the House floor when they were uh, voting to to uh, censor Adam Schiff, who lied his butt off the entire time during the impeachments, said he had seen the evidence, the evidence exists, Trump was guilty, all this stuff about the the Russian hookers, he's seen the evidence, and he never, not one shred of it was ever true, even during report, nothing. And so yesterday they censored him, and this is uh, Pelosi defending him. Here she is. Today we are on the floor of the House where the other side has turned this, this chamber where slavery was abolished, where Medicare and Social Security and everything were instituted. They've turned it into a puppet show, a puppet show, and you know what? The puppeteer, Donald Trump, is shining a light on the strings. You look miserable. You look miserable. The only advantage to all of this is that instead of reversing what we did on the IRA to save the planet or reversing what we did to reduce the cost of prescription drugs, you're wasting time. Adam Schiff is one of the great members of the... The gentleman's time has expired. I have the gentleman's time has expired. The gentlelady's time has expired. He said his is expired? The gentleman from Maryland's time has expired. The gentleman from Florida is recognized. <laughs> Did you hear her tone say she goes, hey, my, my time is gone. I got no more time. Is it? I was getting into the good part. Let me tell you. Can I get more, 10 more seconds to tell the good part? Because I'm really going to nail him. Uh, and that, uh, that Trump was the puppeteer. And it was a it's a big uh, puppet show. What was the impeachments? What what was all that? Ah, it's just you really have to, and nobody ever challenges them on any of this stuff. They have these news conferences, and that the uh, Corinne Pierre, whatever her name is, the press secretary of the White House. Actually, I saw this thing the other day where she got up and talked about how she was um, history, the, the living history, and that. 
that Biden was history and she walks in history every day. And, you know, um, everything is history. Uh, I don't think that she, evidently she has a totally different impression of herself than the rest of us do because, uh, I don't know. But um, then we had Steve Cohen telling um, uh Durham yesterday, John Durham, that his reputation will be damaged. And uh, here, this is uh, Durham's response, which I was, I was amazed at. I thought it was good. No, Your cut. reputation will be damaged. As everybody's reputation who gets involved with Donald Trump is damaged, he's damaged goods. There's no good <laughs> dealing with him because you will end up on the bottom of a pyre. I yield back the balance of my time. Sure. My, Can we uh, presume the gentleman's undecided on, on how he feels about <laughs> the pre- former president? Yeah, my uh, concern about my reputation is with uh, the people who I respect and my family and my Lord. And I'm perfectly comfortable with my reputation with them, sir. Steve Cohen, I've known Steve, I've met him right after I moved here. So I've known him almost, gosh, 50 years. And uh, he, you could tell he was so angry there, his voice was shaking, shaking because he kept asking these questions. And Durham kept going, Senator, uh, I'm really not sure what you're asking me. What are you saying? I mean, this went on for his full three minutes, and he kept going. You know, you know, it was the it was the Russians, the Russians, and what about that? And Manafort, what about Manafort? <laughs> Take a deep breath, Senator. I actually saw Steve Cohen one time. Uh, he had a wreck. Uh, ran this old lady ran into him on McLean and Peabody, right by the old library in Midtown. And we went there because, uh, I mean, I was to be out. It was a Saturday. And it was when I first started at Channel 3. And I had to work weekends. And so there was a wreck. And I thought, well, let's go check it out. Get over there. And I see it's Steve Cohen. who was the state senator then. And he he's so mad because this little lady ran into his little sports car. He, was, he had jumped up on the hood of her car and was jumping up and down the hood of her car, bending the hood of her car and yelling at her for running into his brand-new sports car. We're over there. I said, let's film this thing. So my photographer's rolling on it. And then he gets down. He goes, you're not going to use that. I said, uh, yes, we are. <laughs> he goes, you can't. I'm calling your bosses. I said, call my bosses. <laughs> they didn't tell him it was weekend. Ain't nobody there, baby. You're not getting a hold of anybody. It'll ring off. the Then the other time that was kind of funny was uh, they were talking, had a story about um, SDS, socially uh uh, STS, socially transmitted diseases, which are venereal diseases. And so they put his picture up because he was going to be the next story. And all of a sudden they're talking about uh, venereal disease. They had Senator Cohen's picture up. He wanted to sue over that one, but uh, they told us, look, it was inadvertent. We didn't mean to do it, uh, so you can't sue us. We'll, uh, we'll offer an apology. We're sorry we put this picture of you up when we were talking about venereal disease. Which only makes it worse because the story then uh, takes on a life of its own. At any rate, uh, Senator Cohen or Congressman Cohen, another tremendous move. We're going to take a quick break, then we'll be back to wrap it up. Stay with us. And welcome back on this Thursday. Apparently, uh, CNN is up for sale. I wouldn't be surprised if Fox is also up for sale. Uh, I think that's why they got rid of Tucker and uh, his staff because uh, they're trying to get it, make it more midstream uh, or more liberal, so that it'll appeal to some somebody with uh, some liberal dollars out there. 
but said CN could be put up for sale and ex-CEO Jeff Zucker <laughs> wants it, sources say. Remember, they got rid of Zucker, made him do the perp walk out of the building. But speculation is growing that Warner Brothers Discovery will sell CNN in the coming year. And the struggling cable network's former CEO, Jeff Zucker, has emerged as a possible suitor. Uh, sources told The Post, the 58-year-old Zucker is among the contenders to buy the ratings challenge network, insiders say, despite the fact that he was ousted from the company by more than a year and a half ago over his undisclosed relationship with former CNN flack Allison Golist. Remember that they, they were having an affair, and so they, they said part of the, the company policy is you couldn't be having an affair if you were, I think they were both married, too. Uh, and then uh, it just talks about more on CNN. Don Lemon's worst diva moments pre-CNN firing uh, said uh, 2023 was the year CNN soured on Don Lemon after 17 years on the network. The CNN This Morning co-host reported diva-like behavior and questionable on-air comments, plus a damning uh, variety expose ultimately led to his firing in April. Find out how it all went down in this episode of the messy media meltdowns from the Post. Just last week, Lemon shaded his ex-employer at the Naive Sun Awards, saying, I may not be on CNN, but I'm still a journalist. Uh, I guess I told them. Um, and then an ex-CNN producer who worked closely with Chris Como, Cuomo sentenced for sex crimes against young girls. And then Joe Scarborough slams Chris Litz, axing it would die before I would uh, let a magazine article influence me, he said. And then Trump attorney Tim, Jim Trusty withdraws from ex-president CNN defamation suit over irreconcilable differences. Um, the thing about Zucker, I mean, the thing was going down the tubes when he was the president, even though he was having an affair with one of his employees. They were they they've been suffering ratings uh, catastrophes for years, and so number one, where would he get the money? Number two, who would give him the money? seeing what his track record is like. It says Jeff is likely going to make a bid this fall to purchase the network. People who know Zucker add that buying and running CNN would be the executive's ultimate revenge after his untimely exit from the network earlier last year, in which he was also accused of overly cozy ties with his disgraced former New York governor, Andrew Cuomo. So uh, the beat goes on. And the further down it goes, the tubes goes CNN. Good riddance. That's our show for today. We'll be back tomorrow. We'll see you then.